Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Whether it's putrid garbage or freshly baked cookies, you know your nose can sniff things out. But it turns out your nose may not be the only body part with a sniffing ability. Years ago, Jennifer Plesnick was nearing the end of her training in physiology and sensory systems. She was looking at kidneys and noticed something that seemed weirdly out of place. It was a small receptor, a protein, that would have looked more at home in the nose. Kidneys filter waste into urine and maintain the right salt content in the blood, so it was hard to see how a smell receptor could be useful there. Plesnick delved deeper into the mystery. She came to a surprising conclusion. The receptor in the kidney helps it receive messages from the gut microbiome, the symbiotic bacteria that live in the intestines. Plesnick is now an associate professor of physiology at Johns Hopkins University. She and a small band of like-minded researchers have spent the past few years putting together a picture of what the gut bacteria are telling the kidney. They found this inner organ communication affects things like blood pressure. The researchers have uncovered a direct molecular level explanation of how the microbiome conspires with the kidneys and the blood vessels to manipulate the flow of blood. They found if microbes are destroyed, the host, you, suffers. This new understanding of how symbiotic bacteria manipulate blood pressure is only the latest discovery about the role of smell receptors in the kidneys. That smell receptor is called olfactory receptor 78, or OLFR, as it's referred to in the lab. It was an orphan originally because scientists didn't know where it belonged. They first noticed it in the sensory tissue of the nose, but no one knew what specific scent or chemical messenger it responded to. Plesnik began by testing various chemical possibilities and eventually narrowed down the candidates to acetate and propionate. These short-chain fatty acid molecules come from the fermentation breakdown of long chains of carbohydrates. That's what nutritionists call dietary fiber. As humans, we can't digest fiber. Neither can rats, mice, or other animals. But the bacteria that live in our guts can. It works like this. Let's say you eat fiber. In your digestive system, gut microbiota help to break it down. As a byproduct, they produce acetate and propionate. Your bloodstream absorbs those two short-chain fatty acid molecules. They can then interact with receptors in your body. So basically, bacteria activate OLFR78, which further experiments showed is involved in the regulation of blood pressure. Our bodies have to maintain a delicate balance with blood pressure. It's sort of like electricity surging through a wire. Too much juice fries the system and could cause an explosion. Too little means you're sitting in the dark at home, hoping the stuff in your refrigerator won't rot before the power comes back on. So let's relate that to blood pressure. If your blood pressure is too low, you'll fall unconscious. If it's too high, the strain on your heart and blood vessels can kill you. We're constantly flooding our blood with nutrients and chemical signals that alter the balance. So the control of blood pressure must be dynamic. One of the ways the body does this is with a hormone called renin. It narrows our blood vessels when the pressure needs to be kept up. Plesnik and her colleagues discovered that OLFR78 helps drive the production of renin. 
That seems a little odd, doesn't it? How in the world did a smell receptor that controls a hormone get the job of regulating blood pressure? It turns out the genes for smell receptors are present in nearly every cell in the body. Let's say in the course of evolution, these chemical sensors hooked up to the machinery for manufacturing a hormone rather than to a smell neuron. If that connection proved useful, evolution would have preserved the arrangement, even in parts of the body as far from the nose as the kidneys. But OLFR78 wasn't the end of the story. While the team was performing these experiments, they realized that another receptor, called GPR41, was getting signals from the gut microbiome too. In a paper published in 2016, Plesnik's first graduate student revealed the role of GPR41, which she found on the inner walls of blood vessels. Like OLFR78, GPR41 is known to respond to acetate and propionate. But GPR41 lowers blood pressure rather than raising it. GPR41 starts to respond when the levels of acetate and propionate drop. OLFR78 kicks in only at higher levels. Here's how the pieces fit together. When you have a meal and dietary fiber hits the gut, bacteria feed and release their fatty acid signal. This activates GPR41, which ratchets down the blood pressure as all the consumed nutrients flood your blood vessels. If you keep eating, a slice of pie at Thanksgiving dinner, a second hot dog, and some more nachos at a baseball game, GPR41, if left to itself, might bring your blood pressure down to dangerous levels. Plesnik says that's where they think OLFR78 comes in. That receptor is triggered as the next surge of fatty acids arrives. It keeps your blood pressure from bottoming out by calling for renin to constrict the blood vessels. The new understanding of how symbiotic bacteria manipulate blood pressure shows the wider progress of scientists linking the microbiome to our vital statistics and health. Sure, vague statements about the microbiome's effect on health have become commonplace in recent years, but University of Chicago microbiome researcher Jack Gilbert says the field has moved beyond simply making associations. Studies full of details about how the microbiome interacts with the body are piling up. In June 2016, the National Institutes of Health convened a working group on the microbiome's control of blood pressure. Researchers met in Maryland to thrash out what important questions still need to be answered. That includes what role the host's genetic background plays. For instance, does your microbiome matter more than that of your neighbor, who has a different genetic makeup? Binna Joe studies physiological genomics at the University of Toledo in Ohio. She's also the director of the university's Center for Hypertension and Personalized Medicine. Joe says there's a lot of excitement about getting more data, but there are also still a lot more details to hammer out. Understanding those details is key to knowing whether transplanting a certain set of microbes into someone can reshape their biology enough to cure a health problem. That's the hope of some proponents of personalized medicine. One famous early study showed that giving lean mice the microbiome of an obese human made them obese too, while the microbiome of lean humans kept the mice lean. Plesnik points to a 2017 paper that shows this sort of microbiome swap may help with blood pressure too, but she says the study was small and still needs follow-up. 
Plesnik says swapping new bacteria to improve a health issue might be something that's easier to manipulate than your genes. Those are a lot harder to change. And even if a microbiome swap could only slightly lower blood pressure in people with a tendency toward hypertension, it could make a difference over a lifetime. Michelle Yoon helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Veronique Greenwood's full article, How Bacteria Help Regulate Blood Pressure, on our website, quantamagazine.org. <laughs>